Look, y'all, this semester um, on Wednesday nights, we're asking uh, and answering this question, what are the basics or the essentials of the Christian faith? Um, Is there a set of teachings or beliefs that all Christians agree upon? Uh, As a student asked me last semester, what do I need to believe in order to be or to become uh, a Christian? And the answer is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, It's a map and compass of sorts that billions of Christians for thousands of years uh, have used to help them navigate the scriptures and really make sense of life. The first two words in the Apostles' Creed are, I believe. Uh, I have put my faith in. I'm committed to. I trust. Faith comes front and center uh, in the Christian life, and faith comes first uh, in the creed. A Christian is fundamentally a man or woman of faith, but having faith does not, uh, well, that's not unique, right? Lots of people have faith. What makes a Christian a Christian, like what sets them apart, is who or what they put their faith and trust in. And what we see tonight is that a Christian is someone who has put their faith and trust in the person and the saving works of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, admittedly, right, the doctrine of the Trinity is mysterious and it can cause some confusion. For example, right, do Christians believe in one God or do they believe in three gods? Well, for the record, Christians believe in one God only. Uh, we are monotheists like Muslims and Jews. But unlike uh, Muslims and Jews, Christians believe that the one and only God has forever and ever existed as three persons. At this point, eyes can maybe begin to glaze over and you can sort of like start thinking about your homework or some other thing when you hear one and three God. But stick with me, right? Um, It's really not all that confusing. I'll I'll, I'll try and explain uh, how and why. We can start with um, this room, with this campus ministry. Uh, At UVM, there is only one RUF. Uh, This one RUF exists as 50 or so persons. Uh, There are not 50 RUFs at UVM. There's just the one. Now, you are not RUF, and you are not RUF, right? You are not RUF, and you aren't RUF either, but all of us uh, together are. You could say the one RUF at UVM exists as 50-some-odd persons. And God is like this. The one God exists in three persons. God is not just the Father. God is not just the Son. God is not just the Holy Spirit. God is all three. Father, Son, and Spirit bound together. In the simplest of terms, Christians believe that God is communal, that God is a community, and within that divine community are three divine persons. Now, again, I'm not saying that there are three gods any more than I'm saying there are three RUFs at UVM. There's not. There's just the one. But within that one divine community called God are three divine persons, right? The one God exists in three persons. Let's be clear about something. 
Okay, nowhere in the Bible will you find it written, the one God exists in three persons. But that said, there are many clues uh, and evidences throughout that prove that this is precisely who God is and precisely what, is li- what he is like. And the very first clue of God's Trinitarian nature can be found on page one of the Bible. Right? It's the passage that we're going to look at today. It's Genesis 1, 1 through 2, and then verses 26 through 28. And as I read this passage out loud, and as you follow along uh, on the screen or with the, the sheet that's uh, been provided for you, I want you to pay attention to the pronouns, okay? This is how the Bible begins, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Jump ahead to 26, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing uh, that moves on the earth. Would you all just pray with me for a moment? Uh, God, thanks for bringing us together uh, and uh, to hear from your word tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would speak uh, in such a way that we might hear. Um, we want to better know you, we want to better understand you, that we might better reflect you uh, to the world uh, around us. So help us, uh, help us to hear, help us to see, help us to understand, I pray uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, as I read through uh, the passage, did you all catch it? All right, did you catch uh, the, the one in three? Look at it again. Look. Then God, singular, said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, right? The plural. So God created man in his own image, right? The singular, male and female, he created them, right? Plural. See, the Trinity is not just a New Testament idea, Okay, it is page one of the Bible sort of stuff. Um, it is who God has all. It's who God uh, has always been, and it's who He will always be. But what relevance does this have for yours and my life? Like, does this even matter? Well, I think it actually has a lot of relevance, and the reason why it's really relevant and really important is because, as we just heard read, you and I are made in the image of a triune God. Like, if we really want to know what it means to be human, if we really want to know how we are supposed to live and what the good life is like, we need to know the God in whose image uh, that we are made. Like, who is he? What, what is he like? Well, we can let him speak for himself. 
right? Uh, in his very own words, in this book that we call the Bible, God reveals that he is very personal, that he is highly relational, and he forever exists in loving community. Let's focus our attention on him first, and then let's sort of cast our attention to us creatures made in his image and to sort of flush out what um, some of these implications are for you and for me. But first, as we focus on God, we see, right, that the God in whose image that we are made, he's personal, uh, he is relational, and he is loving. Okay, God is personal. The one who made uh, the universe and you and me in his image is not an impersonal force, but a community of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is not an object to be studied or analyzed, but a person to be known. God is not something. He is not an it. He is someone. He uses the personal pronoun he. He is someone with feelings uh, and emotions, uh, free agency, uh, or free will, and, and agency. Like other persons, we know God because he chooses to reveal himself. If you cut me open and drew my blood and then sliced me up into pieces and put me under a microscope... No doubt you would learn some things about me that you don't know right now. You would discover uh, my blood type, for example. You could decode my DNA. Uh, And the smarter ones uh, here in the room might be able to map my genetic code. But for all of this knowledge that you could gain and you would gain, uh, you still wouldn't know me. I would still be unknown to you. And why? Well, it's because I am not an object to be studied. Right? I'm a personal subject to be known. In order to truly know me, I have to reveal myself. I have to speak, and you need to listen. And the same is true of God. Right? He is not an object to be studied, but a personal subject to be known. We can know some things uh, uh, as we study the world uh, that he has made. But in order to truly know him, he must speak and we must listen. Fortunately for us, God is there and he's not silent. Uh, God speaks and you can hear his word, right? As you tune your heart and tune your ears to hear God's voice, Uh, from the pages of scriptures, right? As you listen to his voice pour off of those pages, you can come to a true and right knowledge of who God is as you listen to his voice there. God is personal. He's personal because he consists of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. These three make up one divine community. But what is that community like? Well, as we peer through the scriptures and through them peer into the heart of the Trinity itself, 
What we see are relationships that are marked by equality, unity, and diversity. Right? Within the Godhead, within this one community, we see relationships that are marked by equality, unity, and diversity. Father, Son, and Spirit are all equals. Okay? They are all omniscient. They are all omnipotent. They're all divine. But just because they are equals does not mean that they are the same. Right? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And Father and Son are not the Spirit. Right? Equality does not mean sameness. Within the Trinity, there is equality and diversity at the same time. I want you to think about humanity for a second, us human beings. Okay? Genesis 1 says that God uh, made mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women are made in the image of God. We are equals. Right? We are equally imago Dei. But though we are equals, we are not the same. There's something really special, something really unique about maleness. And there's something special and something really unique about femaleness. And what is true of gender is true of race and ethnicity as well. Though we are all equals made in the image of God, there are real differences amongst us. And that's good, right? That's okay. Uh, Our equality diversity reflects the equality diversity within the triune God. It reflects his glory. Turning our attention back to God, we said there is equality and diversity within the Trinity, Trinity, but there is unity and diversity as well. Father, Son, and Spirit are one. They have a common mission, a common vision, a common life together. In every way, they are unified. They're of the same mind, right? They're on the same team. But being on the same team doesn't mean doing the same things on that team. Father, Son, and Spirit are equals, but they have different parts to play. And that's good, right? That's okay, too. You know, on a soccer team, there is equality, unity, and diversity. Everybody on the team is a human being made in the image of God, Right? There's equality. Everybody on the team is working towards a common goal or objective. Like, let's have some fun together and let's try and win games. Right? They're unified. But that's not all. There's diversity too. On this one team are a bunch of equals doing different things. There are strikers, midfielders, defensemen, and a goalie. There's the same team, same mission, same goals, and at the same time, different positions or parts to play. And the same is true of God. Right? Son and, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are equals, but they're not the same. They're unified a, around a common mission or vision. You could say uh, one of those being, let's save the human race. Right? That's a common objective or goal. But towards that common goal, they have different parts to play. The father, for example, sends the son to planet Earth, and he gives him instructions from afar. Jesus says uh, in, the gospel of God, in the Gospel of John, 
Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And this is what the father does, right? He sent, he gives us his son and then he gives his son directions. But what about, what does the son do? Well, the son, um, as a human being, uh, lives the life that we should have lived and he dies the death that we deserved to die. And in doing both of these, he throws open, he throws open uh, heaven's gate and he allows us to step on in. Right, to pass on through. He wins our salvation. Mission accomplished. Right, this is what the Son does for us. What about the Spirit? Well, Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper. And He is sent by God the Father and God the Son to open our ears to hear God's Word, to open our eyes to see our need of His grace, to open our hands that we might receive salvation by faith, And to open up our hearts that we might love God as we ought and our neighbor as ourselves. You could say that he takes the finished work of Christ and he applies it to us personally. He makes it personal. When we look um, at the one and three God, what we see is equality. What we see is unity. And what we see is diversity. But that's not all, right? What we see most of all is love. Okay, what we see most of all is love. Okay, God is love because he's always been loving. That is to say, Father, Son, and Spirit have always been in a loving relationship. For all eternity... Father, Son, and Spirit have been glorifying each other, delighting uh, in each other, serving each other, and rejoicing over one another. Uh, In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing, not even just one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity a life, a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The pattern of this three-personal life is the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. See, at the very center of reality is a community of persons loving one another. If you've ever wondered what sparked the Big Bang, the Bible has your answer. What sparked the Big Bang is love, specifically a God of love. You were not created because God needed something or someone to love or love him back. God had all the love that he could ever want or need within himself. The Father was loving the Son and the Son was loving the Father and the Spirit was sharing in that love. All that's to say is God was not emotionally needy. God was not bored. God was not lonely. So why did he create? Like, why create us? Why create the universe? Why create anything at all? 
Well, the answer is this. Okay, God did not create in order to get love. God created in order to share it. You know, when Megan and I decided to um, start a family, it wasn't because we needed somebody to love or love us. You know, Megan and I had each other. Megan and I loved each other and love each other still. So why Willow? Why Willow, our two-year-old? Well, we wanted to draw another into the life and into the love that we share. We wanted to draw another into our pre-existing love. If you imagine God as Father, Son, and Spirit, like holding hands and dancing in a circle, when they spoke the universe into existence, what they did essentially was open up the circle and say to us all, come on in and join the dance. And this invitation is given to everyone in this room and everyone not in this room tonight. Right? We love you. God loves you. Come on in. Right? Join the dance. Right? If this is who God is, right? a divine community with three divine persons in it, a God who is incredibly personal, highly relational, and loving, what does that mean for us? Right? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Right? Creatures made in his image. You know, what does it mean to be human? Well, according to the scriptures, human beings are persons who are created for loving community. We were created for it, and we were saved for it. So let me unpack that a bit and connect some dots. Okay. First, We are persons made in the image of God. Men and women are made in the image of God. And we are made for the sake of imaging God. Now of all the creatures here on planet Earth, only human beings are given this honor and this power and this responsibility. This is not something that is earned You did not earn your image of Godness. It was something that was given to you as a gift. Right? You inherit your image of Godness as soon as you are conceived. And though some may try to take it from you in this life, your image of Godness can never be taken away. You are made in the image of God. And what this means is that you have intrinsic dignity and worth. Right? Your being, not your doing, simply your being, simply your being in existence is an awesome thing. And it demands respect. This is true of all human life. And it is true... Uh, of us at every stage of human life, uh, from the womb to the grave. What is more, because you are a person, you are a subject to be known and not an object to be studied. You are not just a random collocation of atoms. 
You are not a lump of biomass. You are an embodied soul. A person made in the image of God. And the only way that we can truly know you is if you reveal yourself. There is more to you than meets the eye. That's implication or application number one. But number two is this. To be human is to be a person created for community. It is not good for us to be alone. To be human is to be someone created for community. It is not good for us to be alone. Okay. The reason this is so is because we are made in the image of a triune God, right? a God who is forever in relationship. That means that we are highly relational beings created for community, namely community with God, community with each other, and community with the world around us right? that God entrusted to our care. These relationships with God, with one another, with the world around us, are fundamental to our humanity. Uh, You could say that they are necessary ingredients, without which we are less than human. It is why to be cut off from God, uh, to be cut off from one another, to be cut off from this world around us, is deeply dehumanizing. To be severed from any one of those relationships. Uh, In Genesis 2... The chapter after, we read about the creation of Adam and Eve, the very first image bearers here on earth. When God creates creatures in his image, he makes us male and female. He does not make us male and male. He does not make us female and female. It says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And why is that? Well, it's because we are made in the image of a one God who exists in three persons. Equals who are not the same. Equals who are unified around a common mission, vision, life together. And who, though being equal, have different gifts, strengths, parts to play. In Genesis 2, when God says that he will make a helper fit for Adam, God is saying that Eve is Adam's equal, but she is not the same. And frankly, she's able to help Adam precisely because she's not the same. The helper in the Bible is not a pejorative or subservient term. Jesus calls the third person of the Trinity the helper. To be called helper is a great honor. It is not a diss. It is not a dig. It is a great thing. Uh, We ask for help from those who possess something that we don't have, whether that is knowledge or strength or some gift or gift set. Eve is able to help Adam because though they are equals, she brings something new to the table. Though they are one, they have different roles, responsibilities, parts to play. It's good. God creates us in his image, male and female, black and yellow, red and white, right? All are precious in his sight. We are equals and we are one. But we are not the same, right? Our equality, unity, diversity reflects the glory 
of the one and only triune God. Y'all, to experience life uh, as it was meant to be lived, you don't need a college degree. You don't need to hike Machu Picchu or vacation on some white sand beach. Though this will shock some of you, you don't even need to have sex. In order to live life as it was meant to be lived, in order to experience the good life, we need to be in community. And not just any kind of community. We need to be in community characterized by equality and unity and diversity. Where on earth are you going to find a community like that? A community of equals, unified around a common mission or vision. Community that is not afraid of diversity, but insists on it. Indeed, finds its strength in it. Not only that, but a community that welcomes the newcomer, that embraces the outsider, and exists because of love and for the sake of loving others. Well, does such a community exist here on earth? What I'm describing to you is the church. It's the church of God. See, in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul describes the church this way. He says, and I quote, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, of course, he's not saying that these distinctions don't really exist. He's not saying there's no such thing as male or female. He's not saying that there's no such thing as gender or race. What he is saying is that those things don't matter so much in the community of God. They shouldn't divide us. We are all equals here in the community of God. No one person is better than another. God created us as one humanity, equal and diverse. And God saved us to be one humanity, equal and diverse. And this kind of loving community is what we were made for. And it's what we were saved for. See, God wants us, he wants us here, right, like RUF at UVM, to be a tight-knit community, but he doesn't want us to be a closed circle. Okay, he wants us to be tight-knit, but he does not want us to be a closed circle. The Trinity is arguably the tightest-knit circle that has ever existed and ever will be. But that circle opened up. Right, that circle opened up to welcome us in. That is why you exist. It's why you are here. And if that's the kind of God in whose image that we are made, we must be and we must do the same. To close ourselves off from others. To not welcome others to participate in the love of God is to be less than human. You see, my desire for this campus ministry is that we will always be a tight-knit circle where we live in face-to-face relationship with one another, where we can know and be known by one another, where we can love and be loved by each other, but that we live in this kind of tight-knit community uh, in an open circle and not a closed one. 
That there is always room for one more. That we would welcome others in because God has welcomed us in. See, even when we left the circle, even when we ditched the dance, the Father sent the Son to rescue us and to draw us back in. And all this is to say is that knowing the love of God and showing the love of God and drawing others into the love of God, this is what we were made for. This is what we were saved for. A friend of Megan's uh, from college now pastors a church in Davidson, North Carolina. And from time to time he says, the kingdom of God always grows one person at a time. And odds are, God has put that one more person in your life. My question for you tonight is, who is one person that you could invite to share and the life and love of God that we are hearing about and even experiencing tonight. My question for you is, who are you inviting to the dance? Right? Who are you bringing to the dance? Who or what is a Christian? And what do all Christians believe? Well, a Christian is someone who knows and who has put his or her faith in the one and only triune God. You see, the Trinity is not some abstract or irrelevant theological construct. It is ultimate reality. Father, Son, and Spirit make up the one community of love in whose image that we, male and female, are made. So in order for us to experience life as it was meant to be lived, we must know this God, we must show this God, And we must, right, welcome others in. Let's pray.